this is one of my things like you don't get taught in your whole education how to do in my opinion the main life skills that you need such as mm. how do you run a business how do you do accounts what is a credit score all of this stuff and i'd always had an interest in cameras when i was a kid i mean you're still young aren't you you don't quite know what you want to do and yeah. there's a large amount of people that just go there for the uni experience we've come into podcasts only the start of this year because i mean i think anyone can see how podcasts have gone from zero to 100 in the last couple of years we've got a pre-made space um, that looks very attractive they walk into the room all the cameras already set up they just sit down they do what we're doing now they have a chat they leave everything else is done for them and again it's the same subscription model Hi everyone, you're listening to the Unrelenting Drive podcast and before we get into today's episode I just wanted to let you know I started this podcast because over the years I've had hundreds of the most inspiring conversations of my life with small business owners and they really helped me grow and scale my own business and get my mindset right even when times were really tough. I wanted to capture those conversations and make them available to other small business owners who are following in my footsteps and I've just got a small request. If you enjoy this episode, if you find it really inspiring, if you find it helps you and your own business then please just like it and subscribe to our YouTube channel. The more subscribers we get, the more we can invest in making the podcast better. So enjoy the episode. Hi everyone, it's Nishi here. You're listening to the Unrelenting Drive podcast and today I'm delighted to be joined by Chris Wardle from Eldraw Creative Media. Chris, thank you so much for joining us and um, for the audience, if you could tell us what you do. Hi, so yeah, I'm, I'm Chris Wardle, uh, director of Eldraw Creative Media Limited Primarily, we're a video production agency, um, slight crossover with content creation, podcasting, basically anything video and uh, photography related, which is obviously very prevalent at the minute to have high quality content um, to publish online for social media um, and obviously website content. That's that's really cool. And um, I think earlier when we were talking, so you've got... Eldraw Creative Media and what's your other brand that you mainly work on? I've got a secondary brand called Lifestyle Visuals um, which is primarily well solely focused at like luxury weddings so high-end weddings Um, so I separated to two brands because I didn't want a crossover of it I didn't want someone landing on the website and thinking well you do everything Um, I wanted to kind of have a business brand and a wedding brand Um, but Eldraw is definitely kind of the forefront my the main brand kind of my original and baby brand and the wedding is kind of a almost a secondary although it's kind of it's coming up on the level in terms of how they're kind of performing with each other so yeah amazing and I I mean you've Eldraw's been around for a little while hasn't it because I remember I met you probably about just under nine years ago when we first went to the business club together like yeah. we were networking it would be not oh yeah nine and, ten years yeah yeah, such a long time actually. Um, yeah, my business is almost about ten years old. Yours must be about ten years old. Now. Yeah, I think probably around similar time because I, I kind of remember you were sort of new, fresh out the box. I think working in, yeah. in your bedroom, possibly still. Uh, uh, well, uh, yeah, the box room. Yeah, yeah. It's... Um, and I was much the same. Um, I had my dad helping me a little bit, so kind of using an office free of charge um, kind of gave me a bit of a leg up. Um, yeah, yeah that's, that's how we got started. Oh, amazing. And um, you know what, Be- before we start unpicking what you do with um, Eldraw and, you know, where you want to take it, 
if you could help me understand and the audience understand, like, how did you get from, like, education into the world of work? Okay, yeah. Well, yeah, my education journey is pretty straightforward, fairly traditional, I'd say, apart from starting up on my own. So I I went to college, Stamford College. Um, Well, I should probably rewind slightly. I did completely fail my A-levels. So I started to do A-levels at, at my school like as sixth form. So I completed um, the first stage, is it A and then AS? Is that uh, right? The other way, yeah. Okay, it's so I did the first year um, yeah. and basically I was at the age, I was 17, just got a car. Yeah. Other distractions, I completely just was not interested in education. So I've, I failed AS level basically. I couldn't go to the secondary year. Yeah. Um, and at that point kind of well what what do I do maybe this isn't the right environment for me so then looked at going to college instead um Mm. and that that was what I needed basically to get away from a school environment because it was the same school I'd been at for the last three four years before that um so I went to Stamford College and did I think it was a HND um higher national diploma in multimedia studies so that was a like a hybrid course between a little bit of graphic design, a little bit of photography and a little bit of video. Um, and in some degree, a bit of sort of animation, like stop motion animation. Um, so I was kind of advised by family and mainly my dad to, to do that course. Um, because that initially when I was kind of 13 plus, I was that kid that did Photoshop all day long. Yeah. You know, it was in the Bebo days where you could customize your, I think they were called skins, where everyone could have their banners or their, you could put music and you could have whatever graphics you wanted. I was mm-hmm. always that guy that people messaged, can you make me a skin for Bebo? What um, is Bebo? Do you not remember Bebo? I don't think I do. It was no. a social media network just oh. before MySpace, I think. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. So, or the other way around, can't quite remember. I think it went Bebo, MySpace, Facebook. Yeah if I remember same with MySpace though you could customize the skins in my uh, MySpace I, I too don't, I don't remember Bebo but um yeah no, that it, sounds... I don't think it lasted too long but yeah. they they were planning to revive it a few years back but I don't think yeah. it ever got off the ground um but anyway I guess things die for a reason yes. yeah yeah well I, I had um graphic design background I thought I wanted to be a graphic designer and my dad well very wisely as it happens, advised me potentially to broaden my horizons a bit, which is why I went into doing the HND, where it was, yes, it had a bit of design, but it also had photography and video. And I'd always had an interest in cameras when I was a kid. I remember kind of having like a a two megapixel Olympus camera for one birthday. I don't know how old I was, maybe 12, 11 or something. So I always had an interest in photography as well. So that course made sense. Um, long story short, did very well on the course. It was a two-year course. I got a, a distinction or triple distinction, basically the highest mark you can get on that course, um, which I wasn't really expecting to get. Um, and then that basically allowed me to choose if I wanted to go to uni. Um, it was at that point, I can't remember the exact year, probably two thousand and what would it be, 2012, I finished, so probably 2009. Um, that was around the point where 
we kind of just come out of a recession. There mm. was no apprenticeships. You couldn't get a uh, an apprenticeship to save your life. That's the direction I would have gone to if, mm. if I could, but that wasn't an option. So I ended up going to uni, but I just decided to commute to uni and go to Northampton. So I literally went to Northampton Uni just down the road. Um, so I did a degree in uh, media production. Okay. Um, and a similar story with that, really. Got on really well with it. Um, very focused. Ended up finishing with the first degree. Again, wasn't expecting that at all, but ended up with the first. Made some good friends and was probably... There was only a group of three or four of us that in my opinion, took it seriously. Um, mm. There's a lot of people on my course that are doing absolutely nothing related. The same with my, most uni courses. There's, there's only a handful of us that are actually still in the industry. Um, yeah, absolutely. I did a degree in chemistry with management. So yeah, yeah. I guess I do the management bit now. But um, but yeah, the chemistry bit's not particularly used. So yeah, I, I, I mean, it. you're still young, aren't you? You don't quite know what you want to do. And yeah. there's a large amount of people that just go there for the uni experience mm. which I did to a degree but having I was still living at home with my mum so I didn't really do that student halls yeah sp spending loads of money getting drunk every night that that wasn't really me anyway I kind of have mm. my social life back at home um with friends from ho at home like because I was always well, into cars and stuff I'd rather yeah hang around in cars than go to the nightclubs kind of thing well i had this conversation with charlotte from starting off earlier today like they're an apprentice recruitment agency we use and like whenever someone's done like a finance degree we really struggle to employ them um not like we're prejudiced or anything against it it's just like a lot of the time you you get people coming to do an apprentice apprenticeship and you ask the question why would someone rather do a degree degree spend all that money and not get any work experience in something they could just do as an apprenticeship at, yeah. at a time when there's many apprenticeships available yeah. and then and then what we then find is a lot of the time when we give those like you know bring those finance degree people in for a um, work experience or something they they tend not to last because they just haven't been taught how to actually work um or, or use their initiative and then but i, I guess like you know back I think graduates, and I'm making lots of generalizations here, but like, you know, when, when I was at university, like, you know, people were told, like the government was like, said, hey, go to university. That, you know, Tony Blair was trying to get half the people in the country to go to university. And, and that's what people did. Whereas now, so you ended up with some really good quality people going to university that could um, easily have just gone straight into apprenticeships. Yeah. Whereas now, um, now I think... Yeah, it's just kind of odd why people are going to uni, racking up all that student debt, um, not getting the experience when they could easily just get that apprenticeship. But we've been struggling. Maybe it's just our skill set's not right to be able to deal with graduates, but yeah. it is right to be able to deal with apprentices. Maybe that's the way our business is set up. But what you say does make sense. Yeah, I mean, I'd love to take an apprentice on maybe in future years, maybe even next year. Um, I think, obviously presumably they require a lot more hands-on time is um, um is liam what what does he do because you've got a member of your team already haven't you yeah so liam is um a full-time member of staff but he's in a senior okay. videographer role so he, yeah he he doesn't require sort of too much management mm. um other than what you'd expect i'm not having to teach him loads of stuff um whereas if you've got an apprentice 
you could assume that they don't really know anything. Yeah, that's a lot of the time that can be a fair assumption. But my my degree, if I'm honest, it wasn't the best degree either because it was at the time where it was the three and a half thousand pound a year. So there was limited funding. They they yeah. barely had any equipment. And as soon as I left, they put the fees up to nine thousand a year or whatever it went up to. And then the uni kind of completely changed and mm. they had new studios and new camera gear. So w- we were kind of working with the bare bones in the first place. And to be honest, when I started the course, I mm. felt like I didn't need to go to college because I kind of, it just recapped it all again anyway. Oh, yeah. So I did kind of feel like I wasted the two years or yeah. I could have just skipped a year two straight away. Um, but mm. the, I guess they've got a cater for, for everyone. Chris, so you finished university and how long were you there? For about three years? Yes, a three-year course, yeah. And, um, and then is that when you went and started your own business straight away? Yeah, well, that's, that's the part of my story that probably isn't so typical because I've never had a proper job as such. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I've always worked. I've always had work ethic. Like, I had a paper round since I was 12, I worked at a pub from 15 right the way to through to probably, I don't exactly know, probably 22. So I still had a pub job for the first few years of Eldraw anyway. Mm. Um, so I had two incomes because obviously as you get going, you don't earn that much anyway. Um, and I was very fortunate that my dad had just sold his finance business um, at quite a younger age, sort of early 50s, mm. um, if even 50. Um, so he wasn't ready to retire. I Is think. that Simon? Yeah, Simon, oh, yeah. yeah. What kind of finance business was it? Um, so he specialised in finance for primarily optical equipment, so opticians mm. and dentists, basically. Oh, so he'd, he'd finance all the machinery, the refit, mm. um, yeah, the refit of the practices. Um and yeah, he had a really successful business that he sold to a competitor mm. in whatever year that was, probably similar time I left uni, so maybe 2012, 13. Um, he wanted something to do and I needed help. You, as this is one of my things, like you don't get taught in your whole um, education how to do, in my opinion, the main life skills that you need, such as... Mm. How do you run a business? How do you do accounts? How do you, what is a credit score? All of this stuff, you don't actually get taught that. Yeah. Um, that's something that actually I'm quite passionate about to some degree, or at least find quite frustrating sometimes. Um, so I didn't have a clue how to run a business. Um, I left uni, I found some freelance work. Um, I was working maybe two days a week for a production company in Toaster um, who are still going and I guess now are probably competitors as such although we're not that close to each other Mm. Um, so I learned on the job as a freelancer in terms of how to do interviews how to mic people up a little bit about um, lighting and that kind of thing because believe it or not we didn't really learn that much about that at uni which Mm. you definitely should have but we really didn't um, so I, I learned on the job in terms of freelancing for a couple of production companies, but literally a few days here and there. And then we tried between myself and my dad tried to t- 
to grow my own business. Um, he's obviously comes from more of an old school background, um, which still applies now, like going to networking, going to breakfast meetings, all of that stuff. Um, it was kind of pre-social media age anyway, or just sort of starting out. So mm -hmm. we, we're a bit early to the video um, side of things. Content creation wasn't what it is now. So it was probably harder to get going. So yeah, we, we had a few, few couple of first few years where it kind of ticked over, but it wasn't anything to, to shout about. But it's all about, in my opinion, and I still do it now, looking bigger than you are. Mm. Um, I've always tried to look like our team is far bigger than it is. Um, I mean, now the team is reasonably large, but it's still quite, um, built around freelance model because that's just the nature of our industry anyway i think it, it depends who you're trying to sell to like if mm. it, if you're if you're selling to the one the small one-man bands they yeah. they're going to want some a similar size but if you're trying to do more corporate work then they're gonna want to know that the project that they're relying on isn't completely linked to just you well that's what uh, we so wanted we wanted obviously where the money is by logic is the bigger companies yeah um, I've never really wanted to work for, I mean, most people in my industry and there's nothing wrong with it. I, in, in fact, that's the right way to it. In my opinion is they start off with all the local businesses. They do their barbershops, they do their gym mm. videos, um, anything else like small local businesses, but that's not who I generally would work with now because mm. those businesses generally, they don't pay the bills. Like they're a couple of hundred quid if you're lucky here and there. But if you're just starting out and you're trying mm. to build a portfolio and you're maybe 18, 19, then that's absolutely fine. And I, mm. I know people now of that age that are, they're absolutely flying by doing that because they've, they've come out of uni if they've even been or they've just self-taught themselves on YouTube, which again, nothing wrong with that. Pro arguably, possibly the better idea than going to uni. Um, they've come out and they've just thrown themselves out there and done a load of either very cheap or very free, mm. or very free or free content. Um, and now they've got a huge portfolio and can start to attract the bigger people. Um, so yeah. That's the best way to do it. To some degree we did that, but I, I guess I had a helping hand with my dad um, with a lot more of a business background that we mm. kind of, we were always charging from the outset and not charging probably too little, whereas the average 18-year-old. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong, I came from a pub job where I don't know what I was being paid, maybe four or five pound an hour. Mm. So if someone's offering you 200 pound for a video, you think that's fantastic. Yeah. Because you used to earn 80 pound for doing a 12-hour shift or mm. whatever it was. Um, but now I know there's way more value to it. And um, also the overheads in business, they're yeah, yeah, uh, exactly, quite yeah. substantial. Exactly. Um, yeah, I, I think, I mean, you're, you're definitely in an industry that's growing really, aren't you though? Mm. Because I was reading a statistic the other day, like, you know, was it LinkedIn's growing by about, was it 80 million subscribers a month? I can't remember where I read that. Um, it, but also it said like five people, 5% of LinkedIn um, can... Uh, 
users are actually creating content. So 95% of LinkedIn users aren't cre- creating content at the moment. But So what it, are they doing? Just scrolling? Looking yeah, at they're lurkers. Okay. Uh, that's what, what I call them, lurkers. Uh, <laughs> no, okay. but um, there's... Uh, but yeah, sorry, I don't know if that's a derogatory word. I didn't mean it like that, not not in a creepy way. But they're just people that are watching other yeah. people's content, consuming yeah. content, but not creating their own. But that, that that's fine as well. You know, you, not everyone needs to create the content, but the money is in creating content. Well, as um, long as they're they're buying from whoever is making the content, then yeah, it's worth exactly. them being there. Um, but yeah, that in theory means there's a huge. Mm huge market for people who need to create content yeah i mean especially like you know and linkedin's clamped down on being able to just put a picture of your cat and then a funny like speech bubble yeah um and and um it's getting more businessy so you know people are are looking for high high um, quality content um, yeah and it's promoting high quality content so i can imagine but then the other side of it is are there more people doing what you do or the same or less well we've always had that battle even as long as i can remember between do you is it fine to film it yourself like diy jobs or do you should everyone have professional content and be spending thousands and thousands of pounds on having high-end production Mm. And I, I can never say that there's anything wrong with creating your own content because there's absolutely not. And in a lot of platforms, it you're kind of rewarded, especially TikTok now. I know TikTok's pre- pretty new in general terms, mm. but professional content on TikTok doesn't do well. They want it. The algorithms like self-shot stuff because that's mm. just the nature of that app. Um, so. And same with LinkedIn. There's a hell of a lot of self-shot stuff purely mm. because of the, um, the amount of content you need to succeed and post regularly. Unless you've got like an outrageous marketing budget, you just mm. can't do everything professionally. Um, unless you start to go, which is the direction we're taking the business, on having a small monthly retainer where someone does create content for you but you shoot it in batch rather than trying to shoot it. Yeah, create or like with this podcast, I guess. I yeah. mean, for us, we we ended up with too much content. Like we've we we have to have a meeting and then figure out what we're going to prioritize in terms of LinkedIn because you can't put loads of stuff on LinkedIn mm. anymore. It's like you know they're really rationing rationing what, how much exposure they're going to give you. Like the days where you could just have ten posts a week are gone. You just yeah. got to have like four or five really good ones. Um, but I mean, you know, I think Christina Robinson, she mentioned it when she was on this podcast, it's like, you know, create that one marketing asset and then keep reusing it and breaking it down into lots of smaller ones. So I guess the podcast for us is a marketing asset, but then we break it down into smaller things like shorts and, um, and, and clips. But then on top of that, we, we've got the videos that I do like, you know, just with, with the um, camera and and the mics and yeah, yeah. but actually I guess for full disclosure here is you you support us with a lot of our video so this yeah, um, yeah. this uh, podcast is going to be edited by your team but that that's a great example yeah. though because you've obviously realised it doesn't make financial sense to get a film crew in here every week to film your podcast it's better for you to invest in the kit yourself and in all fairness you've been doing that making content as long as I remember anyway. So you've obviously got an interest. Not everyone's actually got the talent or ability or even the want to make content in Mm. the first place. So 
you you've you've sort of expanded your capabilities yourself anyway and now you're you're at like quite a medium to high level of production in-house um whereas what i was talking about was more kind of mobile phones um yeah I'd, bad lighting you know what bad I, sound I, i'm just trying to think the first video i ever did is it is still on YouTube. Okay. That was like probably so nine years that. ago. I don't, we, we might have, uh, I'm looking at Ellie, like should have the answer, but I don't know. Um, yeah, I think we've unlisted it, but you know what? I'm tempted to um, relist it um, as a public video because I think, you know, a lot of people, if they're watching what we're doing now and they're, they're thinking it's inaccessible. Well, it'd be a to, bit great bit of content. To, yeah. Now, why don't you make a piece of content that reviews your very first video? That's a piece of content. <laughs> I and it would probably yeah. do well on LinkedIn potentially. I did it in our in our spare room in uh, on a on a sofa, which is now our nursery. The sofa's okay. still there, uh, although covered in lots of baby puke, which we cleaned Lovely. up. But the stains are there. All right, anyway. But the point <laughs> being is, but yeah, it was just um, I I never liked filming videos. It was just it was just one of those things. Like you know, when I started the business, I made a commitment. I'm going to be whoever this business needs me to be. But you were um, very early adopter to it. You obviously saw the personal brand thing becoming very important, which it did. Yeah, in hindsight, I don't think those videos were helping my personal brand. I, no. I, look, I look like a five-year-old that just read a book about tax. Uh, <laughs> maybe. Um, but although I'm, I'm quite harsh on myself, I guess, quite quite self-critical in that. Uh, but it, it was a starting point, you know. One thing I did realise was every video got better. Yeah. If only marginally. And then suddenly I got to a point where people were like, hey, your videos look really good. And I'm like... Thank you. Yeah, and uh, but other people told me that I, I never came to the realization myself. Yeah. Um, but now looking back at my first videos, yeah, it's it's cringy, but it's important to understand. And now um, look, you've got what have you got? Maybe a ten-year history of pushing content online. Mm. You must quite strongly dominate online in your niche in this area. Surely. We, uh, I, I would say that, yeah. I mean, it helps that our solution doesn't have any direct competitors, although what doesn't help is no one really knows what our solution is because it's okay. <laughs> it's a category of one, essentially. So we have to do a lot of education around, you know, why is having a financial model for your business important? Why is cash flow planning for a small business important? Um, but that that's a separate challenge. You know, every business has its challenges. Some people in a well-developed industry, they've got competitors. Sometimes if you're not in a so much of a well-developed industry, you've got to put the effort into not beating competitors, but developing the industry. Yeah. Um, but it's um it, it's quite good i think me and ellie we were like quite nervous having you on today like yeah, i mean we we knew you'd have an amazing story to tell but it was just like you're the you're the person that helped us set up the whole studio so like you know and then what three months on or four months on you come back in I'll and we're like back, are yeah. we doing it all right it's no well, it's, that's part of it and again that that's probably is another direction of the business is and i've thought this for a long time like we can offer like consultation to help people do it themselves, but make sure they're doing it the best that they can, if that makes mm. sense. So we, for example, the pod, podcast, we've come into podcasts only the start of this year because naturally, I mean, I think anyone can see how podcasts have gone from zero to a hundred in the last couple of years. Mm. Like there's podcasts everywhere you look and in all kinds of niches. Um, and that's the direction I've took the business this year as well is we've opened our podcast 
space in Stamford. Mm. So we can, we've got a pre-made space um, that looks very attractive. Um, we've got a nice table. We've got um, similar, well, the same mic stands as this because this is a kit that we advise you to buy anyway. Um, we've got a TV where they can put their brand in and then we've got coloured LED lights behind them which could be changed to their brand colours. So I developed that space. So obviously it's slightly restrictive because it only really works for um, clients in the sort of Stamford, Peterborough area um, due, purely due to travel time really because mm. you probably wouldn't want to drive an hour yep. to sit in the studio which uh, is why you took this route and asked for the advice to do it in-house and then you send us the files and we edit it which also works uh, and that's probably I guess it's more scalable isn't mm. it for yeah, you because yeah. then because in one one direction you're just trying to get everyone around Stanford mm. but then n now really you can use anyone within traveling distance for you really yeah um, exactly mm. or clients with sort of a lot more marketing budget to hand like a, a much larger firm maybe they they will pay us to go out to to their site mm. and film four or five episodes in a day and then that's their month of content or podcast content done yeah um, I, I which guess is the kind of the third option for what I, we offer i'm try, trying to think about filming five of these in a day i think i mean i'll, they're, I'll they're be quite dead intense, after yeah. yeah um i yeah i do i do know what you mean like but what i found is like we've got a small marketing team in our business and it wasn't like them learning the basics of camera setup. I guess they don't have to do a degree in it, like to just understand the basics and some confines. And especially if you're like the studio is a controlled environment, really, isn't it? Because we've the lighting's pretty much always the same. We put the lights in the same place. Yeah. We got the lights in the same place above. We got little tape bits of tape on the floor telling us where to put the table. Yeah, I mean, um, you've got a good facility that. A lot of people could set up if assuming they've got the space mm. um but yeah it, it's about the consistency so every time you go on your channel all your videos look the same or anyone that is filming in our studio if they've got a podcast brand that all their videos are consistent and the lighting's the same and the, the colors are always the same mm. um they've got their branding behind them um and then it's the same process really um but the beauty of our studio is they should literally be able to, the only thing they need to do is book their guests because in my opinion, podcasts really do need to be at least a two-way conversation. Mm. I, I don't I don't personally love podcasts where it's just one person talking. They're um, unsustainable anyway because yeah. if, you're, if you're the only person talking, I, I mean, I've only ever done one podcast where it's just me telling our entire marketing history, yeah. um, telling people about how I start off in marketing and it was it was not just draining but it was exhausting like mm. also the amount of prep that needed to go into it yeah whereas um i think like when you've got two people in a room the, the content just generates itself really the conversation yeah, exactly. um as long as yeah they, they've got enough in common so I, I found that's worked plus also you're, you're leveraging the other person's audience um, exactly yeah i mean that that's the main power of it and then obviously it can get split into as you said earlier, all the snippets. Yeah. That, that's the power. Yes, you might have a 30-minute, 60-minute um, episode. But even if that only gets a few... That's uh, a subtle hint to guess to get the episode lengths down. Well, yeah, they're, they're, they're up there. I think there was a stat. Uh, I don't know exactly 
the exact number. It was around the 40-ish minute mark that supposedly is optimal. Yeah. Although it's, again, it's like social media. That's an ever-changing thing. Do, do you think some people look at the total length of an episode and be like, that's an hour and 20, I'm not even going to start watching it? I'm but pretty certain that probably is the case. And for a lot of people, maybe, yeah. It goes two ways because for me, I do quite a lot of driving because mm. we sort of film all over the country and often the shoot might be two hours away. So in that instance, if I landed on a two-hour podcast, mm. I'd be like, ah, perfect. That's my journey sorted. Yeah. However, if I was sat at home, there's not a chance I would sit and watch a two-hour episode. Mm. I'll take the dog out every morning or the dogs out every morning for about 30 to 40 minutes. Mm. And most of the podcasts I listen to will fill that time up. Yeah. And by the time I'm home, it's just wrapping up and it's done. Mm. Um, so I think an hour is okay. I think mm. when it starts to go over an hour, um, possibly not really yeah. helping much. There is, um, we, we're always, I, I'm eager to like, you know, keep things as efficient as possible. Cause, um, obviously, um, uh, we got, members of the team committed to it it takes time to edit all, all that kind of stuff so it's um yeah but then other instances like i've i've had interviews with people and i'm like you know what someone's just been in business 40 years you know how am i going to get them to condense that into like less than an hour yeah and, well that's the battle really yeah but then i guess maybe you can have parts like you know part one part two yeah um i mean most of well our, our podcast packages um, obviously they can be customized, but they're generally based on a 30 to 45 mm. minute conversation. Um, just cause I, 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 I do feel that is probably optimal. Yeah, um, I, I do. I do understand. But obviously that. we, it's... we listen to them because we're yeah. there filming. And sometimes I do think, well, there's a lot more story there that is getting mm. missed. Um, so yeah, I could, see the battle. It could be a case of splitting it down. I mean, you know, we were talking about shifting this podcast to a fortnightly one anyway. Yeah. Um, I, I guess I'm not exactly Stephen Bartlett, so it, this isn't, podcasting is not what I do full time. Yeah. But uh, so, um, uh, yeah, it, it, we're always, we always do want to just get that efficiency. So I think, yeah, for us, we probably will go to fortnightly at some point um, just because um, it, and it also it gives us a bit more opportunity to promote the uh, the uh, content. Usually, we're so busy just making the content yeah. that we we forget that we don't have time to tell people it's there. Exactly. Well, that's what I started to say, and probably got sidetracked. The importance, the more important thing, in my opinion, is mm. making the snippets mm. because if you've got a thirty-minute episode, you could certainly get five to ten posts out of that possibly even up to 20 posts yeah. um, if you really wanted to. Like one of our clients um, who's using our podcast service in the studio, when they're posting the full-length episodes on YouTube, they're not getting huge numbers. Mm. Um, they're getting sort of low hundreds of views. But that when they post a YouTube short, which is equivalent of Instagram Reels or TikTok, like up to 60 mm. seconds... Um, they're quite literally getting 2,000 plays. And w why? Just because YouTube's pushing shorts, that's basically yeah. why. Well, yeah, we're struggling with YouTube shorts a bit. We're doing well on Instagram. We're Facebook's a bit fickle, where because um, I guess... Oh, I'm kind of done with Facebook altogether. I quite happily yeah. delete it. But there's, 
there's only really one reason I haven't deleted it, but and that's yeah. basically because you can't use Facebook Manager if you don't have an account. Oh, which you use for Instagram, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And if I want to run paid ads, which yeah. I haven't done for a while, but I did used to run paid ads. Did you find them useful? Um, or productive? They need to be set up properly. And yeah. to be honest, I probably wasn't setting them up properly because I've probably wasted hundreds, if not thousands of pounds um, and haven't tracked whether it's worked or not. So that's really well, on, on me for... We're just delving back into it as well because, um, like, I put we've we've worked with agencies in the past and we didn't get anywhere with paid ads. But yeah. part of the challenge is like you know they they're on a clock and when the clock runs out they drop the campaign regardless of if it's in the right place. Yeah. And then you wait till the next month until you've got enough time with them. But now now we made the commitment. You know we're going to do our paid ads in in house. So like we're we're going for the LinkedIn approach, but then we're going to use the other platforms for the retargeting. So yeah. then we benefit from you know LinkedIn's um, being really specific with the target market. But then we can use the other platforms which are cheaper. Yeah. For that retargeting. So we're, well, we're, exactly. I mean, like TikTok's very cheap at the moment. Um, yeah. You could argue if it's the right audience or not, but I think the audience on that is very rapidly becoming well, older. But that that's the thing, like... I mean, I'm on there every day, yeah. whether I like it or not, because mm. my brain is like, oh, see that app? You need to press that right now. Yeah. Um, and I'll lose a few minutes, well, so a few minutes quite often throughout the day. But I, I think... I think that's that's the beauty of it. Like if you know if you find if you find the people on LinkedIn, then show them ads wherever they go, regardless of the platform. That's yeah. got that's got to be the way. But I, you know what? It's it's part of building that million pound business. You've got to have some sort of reliable set lead generation te- technique. Yeah. And you know some businesses might have a team of like um, telemarketing people who who'll be on the phone all day trying to generate some sort of lead into like you know a, a funnel yeah um but you you can go down that route or you can you can use the paid ads and i don't know which one's better at the moment but i think that is one thing that's missing from our business at the moment just having that reliable tap you can turn on and off well i mean if you're using it in the sense of driving traffic to the podcast specifically mm-hmm. then obviously eventually once you've got enough paid traffic to the podcast yeah then it should organically start to snowball, hopefully. Yeah, I, I mean, our plan was to use it to drive um, traffic to our webinar. You know, yeah. it's called What I Is mean, Your Business Really Worth? Okay. But yeah, I mean, webinars are absolutely massive. It's not something I've tried myself. Um, yeah. But I see them on a daily basis trying to sell me various courses mm. in different things. Mm. And I do start to go through the process a lot of the time, and then I just realise... Oh, to be honest, I can't really be bothered to yeah. to commit to it, or there's some hurdle. Um, but I I think there there's a lot of people making a lot of um, either profit directly mm. or just the fact you're building your brand by having a webinar. So yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I'm I'm a slow learner, so I've probably said that quite a few times. But my business coach Amanda, well, she's mainly a sales and marketing coach. But um, she she does do business elements. But um, she's been trying to get me to have a webinar for about two years, and I've I've dabbled in it, but we never found the right one until now, in my opinion, because yeah. I've found, finally found an area where we're relatively niched. I can add a lot of value in forty minutes. Um, so we're we're just um maintaining that you know fortnightly at the moment. So 
Um, but you know what? It sounds like um, you're definitely onto something with the, the podcast service because you're ticking the box of it being subscription based. Really, you know, people pay you every single month. Yeah, that that's pretty awesome. How, how did you? What what made you think of it? Like, why do you want to go down this route? Um, well, uh, again, I, I've got a coach myself, which I've I've been working. Is that Gary Gary Crosby Crosby. Yeah, yeah. So I've been working with him probably over nine months now um mm. and uh, most of the coaching is around just kind of you probably agree it's getting the things that are in your head already but mm. getting them out there and then making sure you actually go through with it it's like the accountability yeah. side of things um so that's it's definitely helped me um and that was one of the things like i was feeling that the business had got stuck at a certain revenue amount mm. and had been stuck there for quite a long time much longer than I would like to be um, and one of the ways to get past that naturally is to go down more of the subscription model mm. which historically maybe say three or four years ago was a lot more difficult because the need for content wasn't there the same way it is now so it's just kind of happened that the, the actual requirement for content and my sort of thoughts to go down the subscription route kind of collided and both it works. You know, what? I'd say the need for content has always been there. I think the awareness of the need. Yeah, well, um, that's probably a fair point. The awareness and the value, like people value it enough to pay for it. Mm. Um, so, yeah, we... Obviously, the podcast, there's no point in doing a podcast if you're not going to stick at it, basically. So our uh, retainer for the podcast is a six-month minimum, mm. um, ideally to 12 months, and then ideally to renew. Um, so that that obviously beneficial for us, but also beneficial for the client because it makes them stick at it because there's no point starting a podcast doing four episodes seeing it's getting 20 views and then been in the whole idea because mm. you sh there's no point of starting in the first place. Um, so the idea is we keep the client pushing forward and they will see the growth over time because it always takes time. Any sort of content, it takes a long time to get traction. Um, and yeah, for us, it, it's regular income on a, on a monthly basis. Um, in in that instance, it's probably more a volume thing rather than because um, we're talking hundreds per month and we're not talking thousands. Um, but once you start to get 10, 15 clients a month, all paying sort of between four to a thousand pound a month, mm. then obviously it starts to add up and then you can scale the team. And that was the other thing I was working with with my coach is w what is my end goal or well mid goal kind of thing is do I want to grow a team and it that has always been a thing in my head that I do want to grow a team not astronomical size only I'm, yeah. I'm only looking to sort of grow to as in payroll sort of four to five people probably why do you want to grow a team just because I I feel that I do too much myself and mm. it affects my life from a personal point of view mm. I, I don't have a very interesting life generally in terms of out of work. Um, yes, we live a nice life in terms of 
we've got nice houses and cars and that kind of mm-hmm. stuff but in terms of actual having time to do stuff I, i'm just always working basically is that traveling would you would you want to do more of that um holidays maybe I, mm-hmm. i'm not one of these travelers to be honest I, i'm not one that wants to go i don't know to thailand for three months mm. that actually generally doesn't interest me yeah. um a lot of people it does interest them so it would apply to them um i don't want the business to be able to run itself but i want if i don't want to work fridays anymore then i don't need to like, I, I guess basically. that is kind of wanting to run itself in some ways isn't it or well yeah, but no but for yeah. a day a week not all day every day yes um i still like to be hands-on um and i'm enjoying more of the client management if i could my problem is i have to manage clients and do a large proportion of the work and i have been doing that for sort of 10 years um i don't mind doing one or the other but doing both is just too much and the older i I get i just i just can't see myself sustaining that for another 10 years i think one thing people don't realize is it's not always about the hours you work it's about the the burden of having two different roles at the same time yeah because you're even when you're not doing a particular role your mindset or it's still in your head so when you when you're wearing lots of different hats in business i find i find it you burn out really quickly and i i think you know that's what always been one of my drivers like not necessarily to have i don't mind if the business doesn't run without me i know that sounds kind of counter um productive to what i normally say is hey get the business to run without you but that's always a relative measure right like no business will truly ever run without someone because in in the end of the day you can get all the operations running without you which i guess to some extent our business is um but you, you you need you're there for that direction you're there for that vision and if it wasn't me someone else would have to be there for that vision and direction yeah and so the, it's never it's never going to completely run without anyone in that sense but i guess um i guess so yeah uh, like you know a lot of the things you're saying that they're, they're the same reasons i really wanted to push the development of the business but yeah. I, i've also found like having like nurturing team members is incredibly rewarding yeah it's um, a bit like nurturing your own kids in in some ways you know getting people especially like you know we were talking about apprentices earlier yeah uh, taking apprentices who don't have really any um experience and then getting to a point where they're confident they're productive um because you know they're not just productive for your business they're productive members of society well again yeah I, i've literally j- just done that not not to to blow my own trumpet too much but i i had a phone call the other week and it was a parent of a local uh, lad and she was like um can you offer any work experience ideally mm. paid for my son who's yeah. 16 years old and i was like thinking in my head i'd really like to help you but it's just going to be more of a hindrance than me to me i'm already like at capacity trying to to help my other staff and run freelancers and that mm-hmm. kind of thing so i kind of said i'm really sorry but i just don't think i'm in a position to help mm-hmm. and then i hung up the phone um and then my brain started going the same as yours probably would. And you're like, well, actually, there probably is something I could do. Um, obviously, because I've got my wedding business. One, one of the big things with weddings is 
you film for like 10 hours of the day and you've got four, 500 gigabytes worth of footage from different cameras, mm -hmm. the first task is to cut up all of the usable clips from the day. So when you mm -hmm. get to edit, everything's usable is just there waiting for you. Mm -hmm. And that's a task that anyone can do that reasonably unskilled mm. other than you need to know how to use a software or, but it's not hugely complicated to mm. teach that so yeah I, I rang rang her back up and I was like you know what yeah um get him to come in and he's done maybe I think about nine days in the last month or so amazing absolutely smashed it um was culling which that's what they call it culling two weddings in a day mm. and I was like yeah you've definitely got something and mm. th again that person has got huge potential to develop is, in he, the is he gonna stick around uh, well who knows what the future brings but whether it's for myself or someone mm. else I have helped them hopefully see that this is mm. a career that they could follow because um, at 16 I, like I said earlier I thought I was going to be a graphic designer at mm. that age a good job I didn't go down that route. Well, you never know, but I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now. Mm. Um, so yeah, hopefully they'll keep doing stuff for me in the future and it steered them in a, a career path. Yeah. I so mean, it's kind of like a good deed for the next next generation almost. I didn't get anything out of it and no. I, I am paying them, but mm. what I'm paying them for a 16-year-old, 16, 16 mm. they're over the moon, but... For me, as a business, yeah. it's not a huge amount of money. So yeah. it's win-win. Um, yeah, absolutely. And that, that's what I'd see with an apprentice as well. Mm. Um, almost the same principle. And that, that's why you I'd like to do it. Not because I'm trying to get cheap labor. Mm. I, I don't really care about that. It's more, I actually do want to help people yeah. um, as well. That, that's that's pretty cool. I guess... Um, yeah, the the subscription based thing that that's the start, isn't it? Like mm. you know, when you sign people up, that's when you got the confidence to then hire more people as well. Because if you can rely on that income coming in, and then there was quite a good book by John Warlow called The Automatic Customer, and um, it's quite interesting because he talks about how subscription based models can be applied to most industries. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think there's a lot of industries out there they'll just say subscriptions, no, not going to work, not not for my industry. Yeah. Um, but then I guess that's a limiting belief. But then I'm sure there are industries where it can be very hard to do it. Yeah, um, I, I feel no. fortunate that. I think it's become probably easier in my specific industry. Mm. But like you say, yeah, there's probably not many industries you couldn't do it to some degree. Um, yeah. Even in mine, there's loads of ways that you can monetize that I don't just because it probably isn't the best use of my time. But if you're maybe just starting out or you don't have many overheads, mm. there's lots of other ways you could do it even in my industry. Yeah. Um, such as people just go out and film stock footage um, mm. and um, selling what they call LUTs, which is basically pre-made, um, a bit like Instagram filters where you press the button and it changes the colors and it looks nicer. People sell those for video and they sell them at only $30, $40 a go. Mm. But if they've grown a YouTube following and they sell thousands of those packs yeah. at $30, $40 each, that's a pretty nice amount of money. De definitely, yeah. So um, th there's lots of ways, and I'm sure that could apply to 
accounting, I guess, or other industries even. Yeah, yeah you, but you maybe look for a small ticket item mm. that people are more likely to buy. If you do run ads, they're more likely to convert because mm. people will spend £30. They probably won't spend £500 to sign up to a course quite so easy. Yeah, I mean, for, for us, we're... I mean accounting's always been one of those industries where it's it's lent pretty well to subscription-based models um although there's still accountants out there like you know invoicing on completion but it's just madness because um but it's one of those industries but i think the real push for the accounting industry for us is what we call leveraged advisory um so it's about being able to help lots of people in one go or it's about being able to create content that helps people so um because you know for for the accounting industry actually we've got a restriction in um, available personnel like you've got the baby boomers who are propping up the industry and they're retiring or have started retire and then covid a lot of them were just like screw this we're not messing with covid and mm-hmm. all the government changes and all that kind of stuff and and then you got making tax digital and a lot of them were like oh screw this we're not messing with making tax digital yeah. and they just took early retirement so there's just this big vacuum that's opening up in the accounting industry and and like a lot of the successful firms or the firms that are on track to be successful they're saying look whatever we do we can't rely on having people in the business to make money mm-hmm. um, i'm not saying you do have to have a team you've got to have good people and luckily uh, well it's not luckily but for us because we really focused on um, advisory it means we're a really good place for accountants to get experience so we've never really had a problem recruiting yeah but um it's the the advisory element if you want you've got it that's and leveraged advisory especially that's where you've that's where the money is now help more people by um using resources rather than people yeah and um, that that's really cool. Uh, so you you mentioned something, and I think something I'm trying to figure out about you, but you can confirm it now. Okay. So you, I guess your mentor is really your father, isn't? It? And would you say? And then your coach is Gary. So you, you they're not the your, your mentor and coach aren't the same people, are they? No, I. Well, no, Gary's not not my dad, <laughs> if that's what you mean. Um, no. So yeah, my I mean my I guess my dad deep down long or long term I should say has been my coach to some degree mm-hmm. maybe wouldn't call it a coach but as long as I, that I can remember I mean he, he has supported me a lot um, like right now he, he doesn't really know too much of the ins and outs of the business but if I ever need any advice or just to to ask a question about what whatever then i know that i could could ask it um and right now obviously i've gone into the transition of actually employing people where we do i mean we've always had an office but i'd say part of my coaching was to 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 set up a proper office and have a place where people come in to work um which i've always had to some degree obviously covid changed that whole way but I, I I've come back to having an office space but what my dad's saying now basically is if I want him to come into the office and kind of act as more of a I guess like a manager type role and mm. as a third party outsider he can assist me um by maybe seeing what we're doing wrong because I'm not a natural manager no one teaches you this stuff maybe no. advise that am I doing anything wrong or maybe I don't want, maybe I'm too soft to say 
to to tell someone off for example if i wanted to do that if if that's a th- yeah it's, it's always handy having having like an external person come in and and really sort of critique your leadership style yeah um i, I guess to be to be successful in business you've got to be able to take that criticism yeah. um or, or constructive that, criticism. That, that's the main it's, issue though because it, when it comes from someone that's very close to you yeah it's, it's like obviously either my wife or my dad i do find it incredibly hard to hear someone sort of tell me if i'm doing something wrong because it just feels like yeah. a personal attack whereas if it was i think that's where a third party coach does help mm. because that person doesn't know me in other, in an, in any other regards so well, i would made, i don't in my brain i don't take it the same way yeah you, you made a lot of progress in the last year though really because you're opening up the studio hiring your team well that's um, what i've been working with mm. the coach really to to do um is now where have we got to now it's now assessing what's the next direction um where do you want to go from here i've kind of reached my short-term goals from that side of things yeah um what i'm struggling with now is obviously my time management managing team whilst still trying to like not many people know about the podcasting yeah and i'm not helping myself because i've got my head down every day doing the actual work that pays the bill still so i'm not shouting about all of these services that we offer so how can i expect all these clients to be knocking on the door saying yeah we want to sign up to your retainer when i'm not telling anyone that it's even there that's the problem i'm at at the minute to be fair no one's no one's going to be able to do that straight away once they've launched something it takes time like we one of the hardest bits for our business because you know we did a pretty substantial pivot when we were about seven and a half years in so we launched the apex program about two years ago and it was just trying to find the right marketing formula for it like you know you come along and say to me hey i I want you to get more accounting clients and do more tax work we know how to do that we know the google ads to run we know where to network we know know the message we need to get across um but when we started the Apex program, all I knew is people needed it because I needed it. It's based on the, the solution I used to grow my own business. And all, we, all I did was package it up and, and tidy it up and, and make it available. So th- there was that demand, but we were it, just trying to understand where the customer avatar, you know, at first I was just like, that's easy, it's me. Uh, and then, uh, but really to understand the language that we had to use, the things we need to write about, the the places we needed to use it yeah um that's that's taken so so long we've been you know we've come across great marketing people who have helped us we've been let down by marketing people Mm -hmm. so it wasn't always a case about just having the knowledge it was about working with the right people and finding them and it's a good two-year journey just like from creating a signature solution um the early aspects of it because at the moment you're you you've got a handful of podcasts um, clients really haven't you and you're learning stuff from them all the time about what works what doesn't so you're in this constant process of refining your, your signature solution but at the same time you've got to find the momentum to market it and you've got to find the energy and resources within your business to market it but I don't think that's that's unusual for someone um, pivoting in the way you are yeah um, I mean I know exactly what I'm trying to sell 
one of them being the podcast and the other mm. one just being a general content retainer mm. um where again you batch film content and then every month they've got x amount of content mm. to post online and again it's the same yeah. subscription model you need to be posting every month um or at least well yeah across a month but for a long period of time um before you can see the traction so it, again it's, it's the same applies for that so we would come in and film video clips and f photography assets and then they're delivered a library of assets that they can publicize themselves across social mm. or obviously if they've got a social media agency they can give it to them or naturally most likely um, we will start to distribute the content ourselves mm. in-house as well like we'd already do with the podcast because yeah that's one thing i probably didn't explain the client comes in with their guests they just they record the whole episode mm. they walk into the room all the cameras already set up they just sit down they do what we're doing now they have a mm. chat they leave everything else is done for them um same with what we do for you um we upload it to youtube we upload it to spotify um we've got a way where the spotify actually has the video playing as well amazing yeah. um obviously it goes to all any major platform you want um mm. because it just gets um fed through like a a um Is that buzz sprout? Like a, that kind of thing yeah, yeah. It, it goes goes through a feed uh that distributes it out to mm. any of the platforms you want it to and it basically similar to the google it kind of crawls to see if there's anything new and then mm. it pulls it through automatically um so we publicize it to youtube and to that distribution platform um mm. then that's how they could get released basically instantly yeah. i mean uh, but we do all of that for the client we agree the day it gets released and that's it even some clients want to design their own thumbnails mm. others we design the thumbnails for them same with the branding if if they just have got come to us they don't even know what they want to call the podcast mm. in theory we can have a session where we work out a name we get mm. the logo designed we design the thumbnails um, so it's kind of a full solution yeah um, and that would be similar process um, if they wanted to come on board for content we have a brainstorming session for what content we can create and we agree how many times across a month or a quarter we come in to capture the content mm. and then they're just delivered it as an asset library to distribute or again possibly in the not so um, distant future we'll probably distribute that themselves because I, I think that's probably what we're missing at the moment um i've got loads of partners that can do that for us but whether that needs to come in house i don't know yeah i, I guess the um the question is like you know how well do your partners align to your culture as a business yeah and um we we've had th uh, thoughts about this as well because there's certain things uh, i mean we expect our team to stick to our culture but actually I think anyone in our supply chain should really be quite closely aligned yeah. because we've seen instances where if they weren't, it, it did impact the client and, you know, we can only let, only let that happen once. Exactly. Um, that's, that's really cool though. But, and also uh, I think like the, the other thing I really wanted to ask is um, what's like the best project you've ever worked on? Like that one thing, that one video you look at and you're still like, wow, I did this. Um, that's a tricky one because... The, the one thing we haven't done so far is really niche down. 
So we we do, although you could say business to business is a niche, I wouldn't really say it is. Um, so we've done, I, I, I really am into sort of cars, automotive, that kind of thing. That's mm -hmm. a direction I'd really like to go into. The closest thing we've done to that, um, we did about three years back to back where we filmed for um, the BYZ uh, British Superbike team. Okay. Um, so we just did like a season launch video where we'd go to whatever racetrack the first race of the year mm -hmm. is at. We film the riders who, I mean, I'm not personally into motorbikes, but a lot of people, uh, like my wife's dad, he's massively into that. So the people we were interviewing were like big celebrities to him. Mm -hmm. I personally didn't, I didn't really know them. So I, I wasn't kind of a fanboy. Like Starstruck. Yeah. yeah. Um, but that, that was quite a cool one because... Um, we interviewed the riders, filmed the bikes going around the track. Mm. We got the media passes to go behind the barriers um, where no one else can get to. Oh, amazing. That was quite cool. Um, yeah, we've done a lot of projects that I've enjoyed. Um, they're not necessarily the most sexy of projects mm. because corporate world isn't always that sexy. And unfortunately, or fortunately, it depends how you look at it, the companies that want to pay proper money they're not always the most interesting of businesses um but that's just the nature of it our task is to make what maybe isn't that sexy of a business as sexy as it can be or come up yeah. with creative ideas I, I guess as a generalization I, I always notice like some of the more well i i understand anyone working in these industries will probably find them quite exciting but yeah. sometimes uh, so the um really profitable businesses aren't always the most glamorous no um because uh, yeah, a lot of the time generating good quality profits is just about being steady and reliable and um whereas like the the really like sort of um like entertainment based businesses and stuff they can be um less steady sometimes but uh i mean we, we've done a lot of stuff uh, we kind of work with um because the business used to be based in thrapston which is northamptonshire um which is close to kettering mm -hmm. that's probably the town that most people would know mm -hmm. um so we've done quite well we still work with them now a mm -hmm. cransley hospice um they're a, a hospice um in the kettering area Obviously, they're charity funded, um, so we try our best to support them um, by filming really heartwarming like stories of people who have lost loved mm. ones. That's that's the sort of job that it doesn't pay loads of money, but mm. the reward is from elsewhere. Just creating mm. something that's really nice and personal. Um, so there's there's that side of things. Um, and yeah, we've done a few brand brand things. We worked with a, a brand who was on Dragon's Den recently, so that was quite cool. Oh, amazing. Um, and we had models and we rented uh, like a big fancy did, house. Did they get the funding? Um, they didn't. <laughs> Probably, uh, you have, you'd have to watch the episode. Um, oh, I will do, yeah. It was a bit of a tricky one. I think they got a bit of a grilling. Um, yeah. But I have heard the exposure they get off the back of Dragon's yeah. Den was... And pretty um they, they got the rewards afterwards right yeah there's loads of businesses that go on dragon's den where they're perfectly viable businesses but they don't get the funding yeah but a lot of people go on there no question just for the exposure yeah they don't have any um they didn't go in there to yeah get funding in the first place really no I, I can imagine that and uh 
So, Chris, um, you mentioned earlier that, you know, you don't want a huge team, but you do want to get the business to a point where it's semi um, independent um, from you so you can enjoy um, things in your personal life a bit more. You've already started growing the team. Like, what, what, who would you say is your next hire? You I mean, not in terms of name, but like in terms of position. What, what are you looking to bring into the business next in terms of um, team members? Um, I'm not, not fully sure because... I haven't got that far but it would in my head at the moment it would either be like a social media account manager okay or even potentially just an office manager is that and like a social media person is that for your own business or to support your clients directly um well it would be both okay. um and that was the beauty of again my first well, it's not my first hire ever but my current hire of liam mm is the idea was he spends a proportion of his time creating content for Eldraw as mm. the business, as well as alleviating a lot of my workload as well. Do, do you find he has time for that at the moment? Or um, We're getting busy? there. Um, yeah. But we're both almost at capacity again. So mm. I, I, I do have a third person, Jack, who's worked with me for probably seven years, almost from day one to be honest but he's always worked freelance but i'd very much class him as a member of the team yeah um he's just not on payroll um mm. he does his own stuff but a lot of his work does does come from us yeah that, that's fair enough and that, that's um quite common in a lot of businesses yeah. especially, especially at the yeah, scale especially stage. our industry too um but yeah the social media manager in my head primarily would be what i touched on earlier making sure the content is distributed correctly mm. um, because th that is a massive stumbling block. Less so now, but a few years back, we'd deliver a big corporate video, which were all the rage. That's all people had was corporate videos for your website. Yeah, It just wouldn't get utilized properly. Like they just missed the, missed the trick kind of thing. So if we just said, look, let's do all of that for you and maximize it, then that that makes sense to me. You know what? It's it's amazing that you're doing that because uh, one of the things I I see is there's people out there um, in terms of suppliers and they're very eager to get a job done. But the, the key thing is it doesn't getting the job done doesn't really matter. It's about making sure your client gets a result from the job. Yeah, and um, I, I think there's still quite a lot of people in many industries that still don't recognize that you're not it's not a tick box exercise if you've got the skill set to make sure the client gets value out of what you did but they don't yeah. the fact that you delivered on a contract is not good enough because they might say okay fine you did what you agreed to and we'll pay you but it's not going to build that long-term relationship where they keep coming back and it's yeah. not going to create that long-term value and yeah we need to be able to we can already to some degree, but mm. we can't track the return on investment if we're not in charge of the distribution because mm. it, it, they might be letting down the team mm. in, in their back end. So yeah. that's not really on us. Whereas if they trusted us to, to do the whole thing, it's completely on us and we, we should be able to get a much better result and be able to track track return on investment mm. even just by using even on if you were running facebook ads you could say you spent x amount on a campaign you spend x amount on ad spend and what's come back is 
X. Is it profitable or not? And then next time round, you tweak stuff, tweak the content until you, you get a formula that works. Um, mm. Again, to do that, you, you need a much larger team and really to charge more money. So it, it's that kind of chicken and egg. How, how do you get to that, that point? I, I have loads of contacts that could do it on a freelance basis. Um, but probably the next step, as I said, would, to, would be to bring that fully in-house. Well, when we launched the Apex program, we, we had about 190 clients or 185 clients. And we when I mean, to be fair, even after I did this, we were still incredibly competitive in terms of pricing yeah. and our service. But we pretty much put through an average price increase of about 65%. And we went from about 185 clients to about 125. Mm-hmm. And, but we're making more profit. And that's how I freed up our, t- our, our time yeah. to um, then go and really focus on growing the Apex program. But not just the Apex program. We wanted to give something back to the existing clients that were there as well. So we started holding events. We started spending more time talking to them and, and um, supporting them with their own growth yeah. challenges. Um, so we, it wasn't just about... I'm getting one side of the business to fund another. We didn't. That's not what we're doing at all. It was more about we realized people need more support than we could possibly give them at the price point they had, and we had to do something that was actually really unpopular. Yeah. Um. But then it put us in the right place, and you know, I, I come across a lot of people who are stuck in, stuck in a position where, like, you know, they they know what they need to do in terms of workload, they don't have the team members to do it, or they can't afford to get more team members so the the only balancing solution there is to actually increase pricing and then free up capacity through um through the the losses you get because of that but um it's no it's it's always a tough thing to do it's tricky to do that though because Mm. it's hard to lose clients even if it's for the better You you just probably don't want to but you you can't become very personally entwined with them. Yeah. You um if you if you're a good business owner, which I know you are, um you'll you'll have uh, be personally invested into each of their success stories. Yeah. And sometimes, like you know, being able to disengage from that, it, it is very very difficult. Some business owners out there that they, they they don't have that problem at all. Hey, business is business, but um, yeah, if you've got a a more ruthless personality, I think mm-hmm. we're both more on the softer size a lot more personable a lot more caring probably i think um, ruthless which is good and yeah. bad like it's the ruthless people they tend yeah I, I don't know if they tend to be that successful but if they if they understand you know when you take something you have to give something then then it works yeah. and if they're fully if someone's fully aware of how they're going to give something back then yeah fair enough um so Chris, what what would you say the biggest challenge is right now? Is that pretty much what you just described? Like you know, finding finding the capacity to really do the work needed to to scale up to the next level. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my biggest challenge is pretty much making sure that I'm spending the time on the right things. I mm. I know I'm not spending enough time currently on promotion, mm. and that was the point of me employing someone but I haven't still managed to do that. I mean, we're, I'm only kind of four, not even four months in. So it's probably still early days to, to expect that. Mm. But yeah, if I can free up enough of my time that 
I can do what I know I need to do, yeah. then I think we, we can go up to the next step. So yeah, I know what I need to do. It's just um, making sure it happens, basically. Mm. Well, Chris, uh, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. If someone wants to get in touch with you, what, what is the best way to do that? Um, so you either connect with me on LinkedIn, uh, Chris Wardle, um, be under there as videographer for Eldraw Creative Media, or our website is Eldraw, which is E-L-D-R-A-W.co.uk. Uh, um, or yeah, drop me an email at chris at Eldraw.co.uk. Amazing. And uh, thank you so much for joining us. So everyone, you've been watching the Unrelenting Drive podcast. Stay tuned for future episodes and um, thanks for joining us.